Well, good morning, everybody. Aloha kakahiaka. And again, welcome to Hawaii Kai Church. We are so glad that you are with us on this first Sunday of the new year, 2024. <clears throat> Please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to take a short break from our study through the Gospel of Luke. We will be looking at this morning three verses from Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 will be our passage of study. Uh, this can be found on page 978 in the Bibles that are under your seats. Again, that is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. That's our passage of study this morning. Now, before we read this together, would you please bow your heads with me as we open up our time in a word of prayer. Father, again, we uh, thank you for this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that you give to us to hear from you, uh, from your word, and we do ask that this is what would happen this morning, that we would truly hear from you, that it would be by your spirit teaching us, helping us to understand your holy word that would truly minister to us. God, we need you. We ask that you would help us now, and we look forward to what you will give to us this morning. We love you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, it's my hope on this first Sunday of 2024 that our passage of study this morning will help us uh, to take a pause, to help us to just stop for a moment and take stock of how we are living and ask ourselves the question, are we living wisely? In our passage this morning, Paul is going to exhort us to live wisely, and he's going to show us that in order to live wisely, we first and foremost need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, and maybe perhaps too often, we get caught up in the rat race of life, don't we? Becoming so busy, so overwhelmed with everything that needs to be done that we don't pause long enough to take a figurative breath to stop and evaluate, how am, how am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Or it could be the opposite, that we become too complacent, too comfortable with the mundaneness and the repetitiveness of life, the seemingly never-ending cycle of getting ready in the morning, going to work, putting in our eight hours, coming home, eating dinner, watching TV, and then repeating the whole thing over again the next day. One day blurs into another, and before you know it, months and then years have passed, and we don't know where the time went. In our verses this morning, the Apostle Paul encourages us not to let this happen. Paul is going to exhort us to pay close attention to how we are living, to make sure that we are living wisely and making the best use of the life that God has given to us. He's going to urge us not to be foolish, but to understand what the Lord's will is. Hopefully, 
Hopefully, this will be a reminder and exhortation and encouragement as we start the new year to ensure that we are not just spinning our wheels, not just going through the motions of life, not climbing furiously the ladder of success, as the saying goes, only to reach the top and find out that the ladder is on the wrong wall. Let's look again at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Such a short verse, but so full of meaning, especially in the context of the book of Ephesians. In this verse, Paul is urging us to look very carefully at how we walk. Now, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul has already used the verb walk several times to refer to how we live. Look back in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Then in chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And finally, chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How you walk is how you live. And Paul now tells us in verse 15 to walk, to live very carefully, to walk wisely. The word for careful here means diligent, accurate, precise. And so when used with the idea of walking, you can almost picture a person walking across the uneven lava rocks as they make their way to the ocean. It's kind of like getting into the water here out at Allen Davis by the Makapu Lighthouse. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to swim. But you have to be very careful in getting to the water. Each step has to be very precise, very accurate, knowing exactly where your next step is going to be. Otherwise, you could fall down and get hurt. And this is how Paul is urging us to live our lives. Not unwisely, carelessly, or haphazardly. I mean, picture someone just running over those rocks. Instead, Paul says we are to walk wisely, carefully. Now, what does it mean to walk wisely in this way? Well, first and foremost, it means that we need to fear the Lord. According to the Bible, as Elder Ben read to us at the beginning of the service from Proverbs 9.10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. True wisdom begins with understanding and acknowledgement that there is a God and that this God is awesome and that He's mighty and powerful and he is to be feared. If you don't know that there's a God, if you don't know your creator, if you don't know where you came from, why you are here, and what your purpose is, and the meaning of this thing called life, then how are you going to know how to live, let alone being wise in how you do it? And yet the majority of people in this world are trying to do exactly that. Brothers and sisters, we need to see the absurdity of this. We ask ourselves, why are there wars? Why is there such hatred? Why is there so much hostility? Why are people so evil? 
It's because people do not know their Creator, and there is no fear of God in their hearts. So can you see why so many people in this world are frustrated, confused about who they are, fighting against everything that they don't understand, seeking happiness and contentment in all the wrong places, and aimlessly wandering through life without an anchor, without hope? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I'm afraid this is how I believe most people are living today. But that's not to say that everybody is an atheist. You see, you can say you believe in God, but still practically live every day as if there is no God. People can say whatever they want, but it's how they live that really shows what they believe. And this is why Paul is urging us to look carefully at how you walk. King Solomon, who according to the Bible was the wisest man who ever lived, listen to his conclusion on life at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon The wisest man who ever lived says that life is all about fearing and honoring God, keeping his commandments. And so to fear God, knowing that he is real, living in awe of who he is, this is the beginning of wisdom. But walking wisely involves more than simply believing in God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Walking wisely also means knowing who we are in Christ and understanding God's overall plan for this world and for this, our lives. In verse 15, when Paul says, look carefully then, he's using the conjunction then to connect the previous thoughts to his current argument. I think Paul in his exhortation to us to live wisely wants us to refer back and to think about all the glorious truths that he's already written about in the book of Ephesians and what it means to be a Christian. And so let's quickly look back all the way to chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Just flip back one page or so. It says in chapter 1, verse 3, that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, throughout chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul is telling us that in Christ, all of our trespasses and sins have been forgiven, and that he chose us, and we have been adopted into God's family. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, which means that the hope of heaven is now ours. Because in Christ, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. The stamp of God's approval guarantees that we are His, guarantees that that all of the riches of Christ are now ours. We are co-heirs with Christ. Now imagine for a moment, and I've shared this before, imagine for a moment if you were an heir of Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, and you were to inherit everything that they have. That would change the way you live, wouldn't it? 
What Paul is saying is he, here is that you have more than all of that. You are an heir of God himself, and the hope of heaven is now yours. This should change the way we live. This should change our perspective on what we think we have, what we think we don't have. It should change our value system, what is most valuable to us in life. It should change the way we see other people, how we love them and how we care for them, knowing who we are in Christ. And all the riches that we have in Him should change the way we live. And so in light of this, Paul is saying to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. But that's not all. We need to look at chapters 2 and 3 to get a better understanding of God's ultimate expression of His wisdom as it's revealed through the church. Because I think this will help us change our perspective on wisdom and how we are to live wisely. Turn to chapter 2 of Ephesians, starting in verse 12, where Paul calls us, in verse 12, to remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen to the despair of those words and get a sense of the dread. You were separated, alienated, strangers, having no hope without God in the world. This is how we all once were. But then Paul goes on to say, but now we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been destroyed, and we can now be at peace with one another as fellow citizens and members of the very same household of God. That's in chapter 2. And then Paul goes on to tell us in chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The idea, this idea that the Gentiles, non-Jews, would become fellow heirs and members of God's family, this is what Paul calls the mystery that has been hidden from ages past. But now, in an expression of God's ultimate wisdom, this mystery has now been revealed through the gospel in his church. The mystery of Jews and Gentiles, forever enemies, people who hated one another, people who were separated by the strict religious requirements of the law are now brought together through Jesus Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And those who were once sworn enemies are now brought into one family of God. That is the mystery that was hidden from ages past but is now revealed through the church. And why? What is the result of this mystery being revealed? We'll look at Ephesians 3 uh, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, the creation of the church revealed for the very first time the manifold wisdom of God such that even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places were learning about it for the very first time. The word translated manifold in Ephesians 3.10 means many and varied. It carries with it a sense of having many diverse, intricate, various, and complex hues and colors. And when we think of God's manifold wisdom being revealed through his church, I think it poetically brings to mind the many diverse, intricate, various, and complex hues and colors of different people from different tribes and tongues and nations. What God had in mind in his manifold wisdom is what I think we read about in Revelation 7 where it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God's plan of salvation, His manifold wisdom, is revealed through the creation of the church. The multifaceted, many-colored, culturally diverse, beautiful community of believers. If you want to see the ultimate expression of God's wisdom, then simply look around. See the manifold wisdom of God in the faces of your brothers and sisters around you. And why is this significant? And why is it so important for us this morning? It's because our world is, is being ripped apart by war, by brutality, by ethnic hatred. And now, more than ever, we need to be living not as unwise, but as wise we need to be those who know the manifold wisdom of God, who understand the nature of his church and the healing power of the blood of Christ that first of all brings us into the light, into right relationship with God, and secondly brings us into right relationship with each other. That is the beauty of the church. That is the beauty of God's manifold wisdom that he would bring us together. And so Paul says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so how, how practically are we to walk in wisdom? This is what Paul now turns our attention to. 
And of course, there are many, many, many practical ways to walk in wisdom. But for our purposes today, we are going to focus on just the two that are found in verse 16 and 17. The first is found in verse 16. Look at this with me. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If we are to walk this life wisely, then we need to carefully watch how we are using our time. Now, there are several Greek words used in the New Testament that can be translated time. One of them, the more common word, is, is chronos, which simply means clock time, the movement of, the, of time, the succession of seconds and minutes and hours as in the ticking of the clock. The other word for time is kairos, which is the word that's found here in verse 16, which means a definite portion of time, a season of time, or a specific opportunity. Think of it as this specific time, this season that we are here on earth. And so when Paul says to make the best use of the time, he's not just referring to making the most of each moment, each second. As in, don't waste any of your time playing video games, which is what I tell my kids all the time. But Paul's emphasis is so much more than that. He's saying make the best use of this opportunity, this season, this very short time that you have been given here on earth. Make the very best use of it. The Apostle James tells us something very similar in his epistle that our time here on earth is very short. You are a mist, he says, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, all you have to do is look back at some old pictures from a few years ago to just realize how fast time goes by. I think this is most apparent when you uh, watch older movies from a few decades ago, and you see all these beautiful young uh, people who are immortalized in the films of their youth. And then you go online today, and you see a recent picture of them, and, and frankly, you're shocked. Time is not kind especially to the young and the beautiful. You know, I don't know how many of you know who uh, Billy Joel is, but uh, he was a really popular singer when I was young. I remember going to a concert of his a few years ago, and when he came on stage, he said, Good evening, everybody. I'm Billy Joel's dad. <laughs> and we all laughed because we knew what he meant. He knew that for most of us, we remember him from the pictures of his youth on the old album covers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and not as the larger, balder, more wrinkly version that walked on the stage that night. The point is, our time here on earth is short. So the warning Paul gives us is, don't waste it. And when Paul says to make the best use of time, he uses a word that can also be translated, redeem which means to buy up, to ransom, to rescue from loss. So what Paul is saying is we need to, in a sense, buy up. We need to ransom time. We need to rescue time from loss. And the reason Paul gives for why we need to do this is because he says the days are evil. We live in a fallen world where evil is all around us, where Satan, the prince of the power of the air, leads and directs the sons of disobedience. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he can devour. And so in this evil world, so influenced 
by Satan, if we are to let time just go, evil will make use of it unless we redeem it, unless we buy it back and rescue it from loss. I think this is the imagery and the urgency Paul wants us to sense and to understand through the words that he uses here. And when I say evil will make, uh, when I say evil will make use of our unredeemed time, I'm not saying that Christians will use their time to do evil things. I am saying, though, that in this evil day, there are a myriad of distractions, diversions, and time wasters that will eat up and literally destroy countless hours of this precious commodity of time that we have here on earth. How easy it is to waste hours upon hours watching YouTube, playing video games, scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, watching movies or television. Brothers and sisters, I am just as guilty as the next person of doing this. And so I am preaching first and foremost to myself. And so we need to hear together the words of Paul, redeem the time, buy it back. Do not waste this short life that we've been given. And in another sense, we live in an evil day that is preoccupied almost entirely with the here and now. Very, very few of us live with eternity on our minds. Very few of us live with a conscious reality that each person has an eternal soul that will live on forever, either in heaven or in hell. And so because we don't live with eternity in our hearts, as Sinclair Ferguson says, even the workaholic who apparently never wastes a minute actually wastes every minute because he's living only for himself, for the short term, and for this world only. And so the Apostle Paul warns us to look very carefully at how we're living and to make the very best use of time that we've been given for God's eternal kingdom. As a famous songwriter once wrote, time is something you can't rewind. You'll never get it back, so don't waste it. Redeem it, buy it back, and make the best use of this short time that you have on earth and live it for the glory of God. Which finally leads us to verse 17. Look at that with me. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In Paul's encouragement for us to look carefully at how we are living, how we are walking, making the best use of time, buying back time because the days are evil, he now says, therefore, for these reasons, do not be foolish. Don't be senseless. Don't be without reason. In other words, Paul is saying, don't be an idiot. Don't be running headlong into the rocks without watching where you walk. Rather, we are to be those who understand what the will of the Lord is. And how do we know what the will of the Lord is? Well, the simple answer is we go to His Word. For it is in God's Word that we find God's will. We need to be reading God's Word. We spend so much time in school reading textbooks, learning about math, electronics, computers, history, business, finances, engineering, law, medicine, everything under the sun. But in comparison, how much time 
do we spend studying the Word of God to teach us about life and to understand what our Creator's will is for this world and for our lives? Have you ever tried to put a complex structure together without the instruction manual? How does that usually turn out? Not very good, I'm afraid. Things are get put on backwards, pieces don't fit, pieces are left over, and the final result not working the way it should. Now think about our lives. We have God's instruction manual. We have everything we need to teach us about God's will and how we are to live, but we fail to read the instruction manual. And so how does this turn out for us? Not good, I'm afraid. But it's not just God's word that he has given to us to help us understand his will. God has also given to us himself, his spirit. As John 14 says, Jesus was in, in that verse, John, Jesus was preparing to leave the earth and he told his disciples this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I share that because as you are reading God's word, be sure that you are doing so in prayer, asking God, the Holy Spirit, to help you to understand that is why the Holy Spirit is here. He's there to help us to understand God's word. You see, we've been given more than God's word to know his will. We have been given God himself. And as we've just learned, we have been given God's church through which the manifold wisdom of God has been revealed to all creation. And so what I'm getting at, what I think we all need to understand this morning is that we are to be more than just passive recipients of God's wisdom and understanding. If we are to understand, truly understand God's will, we need to be actively pursuing and seeking after God. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. These are verbs. These are action words. We need to be seeking after God's wisdom, pursuing God himself if we are to understand his will. Now we all know the true understanding doesn't come through just reading books or, or just simply learning something in the classroom. True understanding is more than just an intellectual exercise. To really understand something, to really understand life, you must experience it. And similarly, to really understand God's word, you must experience God's will. You need to live it out. If God's will is for us to love our neighbors as ourselves, then to truly understand what this means is we need to love. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge, an intellectual exercise in love. And who really needs that? Nobody. What the world truly needs to see is the love of God in action to see the wisdom of God expressed through his people as we love one another. This is, I think, the essence 
of God's manifold wisdom revealed to his people. And so don't be foolish, Paul says, but understand, truly understand what the will of the Lord is by reading it, by seeking after the Lord for it, and by living it out, experiencing it for yourself. And that's it. I think it's been a pretty heavy morning in terms of meatiness of the scriptures that we've explored today. I know it was for me in studying it. And so after all is said and done, my encouragement to you as we start the year 2024 is this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for everything, God, that you continue to do in and through us, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us, Lord, to understand who you are more clearly and to understand who we are in you. And I pray this morning, Lord, that through your word and through the continued working of your spirit, you would continue to draw us closer to yourself, helping us to become more like your son, Jesus, so that in all we do, we might bring glory and honor to your name and that people would see Jesus in us and come to know you as their Savior and Lord as well. We love you so much. We thank you again for this morning, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.